This is the Theology Matters podcast. I'm your host, Josh Malden, and I'm here today with Stefan de Beer, a theologian from South Africa who works on theology and the built environment. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Stefan. Thank you, Joshua. Good Maybe say you. a bit about, give, a, give a, a quick bio about where, where you're located. Yes, well, so I'm in uh, what most people outside of South Africa will know as Pretoria, the administrative capital of South Africa, but it's uh, officially called the city of Tswane now. And uh, I'm teaching at the University of Pretoria. I'm with the Center for Faith and Community. I've been there for the last nine years. And before that, for many years in the inner city environment, working with um, inner city vulnerabilities, community development, housing, etc. And I'm still engaged with that quite closely as well. So while, while being a theologian, you're also very much working on the ground in communities uh, regarding urban housing. Yeah, yeah. So we, in different ways. I mean, initially it was, you know, in my previous life, and I'm still engaged with that constructing housing and actually trying to also encourage faith communities to get into that space. Um, but recently, increasingly also um, more in an activist way, preventing homelessness and preventing evictions. And so it's probably a combination on the one hand of dealing with land and housing rights in our context, where the issue of land is, of course, a very contentious issue with our history. But on the other hand, not only in a sort of resistant uh, way, but also in a proactive attempt to be reconstructive in terms of some of our neighborhoods and how we can actually build neighborhoods that give effect to to something that's socially and spatially just um, and that redo. I mean, in a very big way, it's about how do we undo the, the apartheid city and how do we rebuild our, our neighborhoods in ways that will resemble reconciliation that is deep. That's not just uh, words, but it is actually um, demonstrated in the spatial and social fabric and economic sharing and so forth. Yeah. To, to folks from outside of South Africa, maybe say a bit about what the housing challenges are there, given that history. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll have to try and keep it, you know, because I'm busy at the moment reading all kinds of stuff about our land history and attempts to do theologies of land over the last hundred years in our context. And of course, that, that's the whole thing is that for the last 350 years, indigenous South Africans were... Um, were very much excluded, exploited, and, and shifted off their land by, by the process of colonization. That unfortunately was often accompanied by Christian mission. And so that is one big, big thread. The second one is since 1913, we had the Native Lands Act. And then later on, things like the Group Areas Act that actually determined where Black South Africans could live. People, well, people of color, Black so-called colored and Indian people could live. And uh, that was uh, coming to kind of a climax in the 60s and 70s with, um, with apartheid legislation and forced removals. So hundreds of thousands of people in big cities and small towns have been forced to be removed from places where they've sometimes lived for four or five generations. Um, so that's the backdrop, you know, against which we are trying to work. So post-94, since the dawn of democracy, um, you know, our cities have changed. It, it changed for you know, inner city areas in many places, except for Cape Town. Those who know Cape Town, it's an exception. 
Hepton is still called by, by some of us the colonnade. It just works differently. But in most other cities, there's been an exodus from city centers, similar to what happened, I suppose, in the US in the 60s and beyond. Uh, exodus of white people, white capital, uh, influx of black uh, people, often with very little resource bases. And then in that context, trying to figure out how to be church, how to do theology in those spaces, and how to create housing that will actually be um, affordable and uh, inclusive of new populations of people moving in. So that's been the first, like, I would say, between the early 90s and 2010. The last 10, 15 years, it changes as, as the migratory patterns from rural to urban on the whole African continent, but also in South Africa, intensifies. So we're always behind. You know, Kailicha in Cape Town, they say five, 6,000 new families move in sort of monthly. And, and cities just cannot deal with the backlog of housing. And that usually is then expressed in informal settlements and, and so forth. Um, and then the reality of street homelessness is another reality that we are quite closely working with. And it's tricky. I mean, uh, you know, what, there's people living on the streets without any shelter. In Bangalore, they, their definition of street homelessness is people living under the sky, um, which is, I think, a nice definition. It's very simple. Uh, informal settlements, there's some form of structure, but often the, the tenure and so forth is, 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 not, is not secure. And so it is as precarious, it's a little bit better, but it's as precarious. And so it's these different kinds of housing. And then trying to say, how can we work with abandoned buildings, with empty buildings, with state land and public buildings that stand empty. So, so it's within that whole scope that, that work needs to be done. And theologically, I would say, oh, this is my last line, Joshua, then you can come in, but, but uh, theologically, I think, especially black theologies, liberation theologies in South Africa, have been good at critiquing some of the unjust legislation and land and spatial patterns, but we've not always been good at constructing the alternatives and, and imagining the alternatives and then constructing it. Um, that's a whole another ball game. You have to change gears, and and uh, it's it's another set of of rules. Um, and I think that's one of our challenges. How do we stay critical of land patterns that exclude people still in South Africa today? Um, but at the same time, how do we actually develop uh, exciting imaginaries of alternative possibilities, and then do the actual work to even facilitate some of those alternatives? And I think it's between those that I'm trying to, to find myself a little bit. That's fascinating. I was going to ask you specifically, where, yeah, where do you see the, the contribution of theology? But you began to speak to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, the people you're interacting with, is it natural that they, they, are they not surprised that you're coming at these questions as a theologian? Or is it uh, somewhat uh, out of the ordinary? It's a good question. It's, I think it's a mixed bag. I would say in many of the grassroots communities of struggle, because many of them only survive because of their faith, you know, for them, it's, it should be the case. Mm. Their theology is material, it's earthy, it's, it's touching real things. It's not just about, it's also about heaven and, and after year, but, but I mean, it's people that, um, you know, just survival is, is, is such a, a thing for them. And they live between life and death almost daily. I think with other professionals, planners and architects and so on, they're sometimes more surprised. 
um, we are starting to have a real appreciation, or personally, let me say we, uh, I have a real appreciation for, for social movements working in the space of housing and land, especially social movements driven by communities affected by injustices themselves. And they often have amazing, uh, amazing theories undergirding what they do, not always written up sometimes. They draw from all kinds of resources in Latin America, the, the Sololinsky organizing movement in North America. I'm every time surprised at where they draw from. And then it's people who did not necessarily have university education or whatever, popular movements that educate themselves. And I think both the academy, but also the church can learn a lot from these movements. And what is starting to happen is that they have an appreciation for what they think of as progressive people of faith. And I mean, of course, you can, it's labels and stuff like that. But for people of faith that are willing to stand in solidarity with them to legitimize some of their, their struggles and aspirations to, to help them reflect critically on that. And so I've never had a sense that we're unwelcome in those spaces. If we come, of course, if we will come thinking we have the answers and, uh, you know, Presenting ourselves as if we know, uh, I don't think we'll have much uh, of a chance to, to have good conversations, but, but coming humbly, really not knowing and, and, and wondering with them, what could the contribution of the church, of people of faith, of religion, of theology be in your context? And then you're sometimes surprised, you know, the, the one friend of mine in, a, in an occupation in Cape Town says for him, the, the first political um, challenge Jesus faced was housing. You know, uh, they, there was no space for him to be born, even before actually being born. Um, and so it's very interesting how this popular movements actually um, translate faith into action, into the grittiness of these situations. So, so it's an ongoing journey of trying to figure out for myself. I think, let me answer it this way, Joshua. Sometimes I feel one's own theological peers uh, are, 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 are sometimes less understanding of what this all is about. Mm. I find more understanding of why I would be involved as a theologian amongst the social movements and those who are in the urban spaces wanting to make change. And, and so I think we have a lot of theological work to do because this is not a South African issue. This, this is, it's even a North American issue. It's an issue everywhere. Um, the challenges of urban change, the challenges of transnational migration and how it often manifests in housing challenges. So I think it's work that all of us need to do uh, theologically, I would, I would say. Circling back, maybe say a bit about your own, your own history and how you became interested in theology and, th and in that also in the, you know, the built environment, housing, housing issues. Let me try to just chart a few key, key things, otherwise it could take forever. I mean, I, I had a sense of wanting to be in ministry since I was like six for some reason. Um, so it came with me for a long time. I grew up in the inner city in the same place where I still live for my, for my sins, I suppose. Um, so it's an inner city neighborhood. It was very different when I grew up. It was all white neighborhood. Grew up in a single mom family. Saw the city from a different lens even then because, it, you know, that, that part of town was, was not the part of town in, in the white community necessarily. Then studied theology at a time in South Africa when I studied theology. It's exactly 30 years ago I completed my undergraduate studies. It was 1991. So it was just before the official transition in our country. And it was just in those years of, 
all the political upheavals, states of emergencies and, and stuff like that. And yet it felt like we did theology and were prepared for ministry in a vacuum because like that all happened in a different world and here we did theology. And sometimes it, it overlapped, but my whole class was 90% male, 100% white, reformed, and that's who we were. I, I think the biggest exposure then that rattled me quite a bit was, was two things. I started to work with children on the streets of Sunnyside where I grew up. Black children started to live on the streets. Uh, we started the shelter for street boys. There's a long story around that that I, I'm not going to tell now. But the bottom line is that that there was a lot of police harassment and the, the neighborhood didn't want black kids. It was like this is the beginning of the end of the neighborhood. And so cutting a long story short, a fire uh, burned down the church in, in March of 1992. Eight kids died in the fire. Uh, we were never able to prove that it was uh, uh, arson, although we believe it was arson. But because it was not proven, nobody that was suspected were ever prosecuted. But that was a turning point for me in my personal life in terms of just asking, who is this God that I am about? What is theology? What is church? What is justice? Who are we supposed to be and who are we supposed to be with? I already planned to be in Chicago and... Um, I didn't change my plans. My friends and people around me said, still go. And my, my, my bursary didn't work out as it should have, which I think it's a bit in, in retrospect was, was fantastic because it just, well, it was painful, but fantastic. So I turned up in a, I was hosted in an African-American community on the south side of Chicago and uh, uh, Reverend B. Herbert Martin was my host. He was at some point the chair of the Chicago Housing Board um, at some point, he marched with people against the board, and he was chucked out of the board, of course, then by the uh, as the chair. Um, but but I mean, seeing him in action and seeing how walking on the street and random people coming to him, thanking him for how he intervened in their housing issues and so on, just gave me a completely new vision of what pastoral can look like, what pastoral care can look like, taking it out of the narrow idea of counseling and therapy and saying there's a whole city out there. And so those kinds of experiences uh, put me on a different trajectory. So back in South Africa, I was part of a team that started an ecumenical ministry in the inner city with a number of churches. Uh, and we wanted to work with some of the most vulnerable communities in the city, starting with women and girl children. All of that step-by-step step, naively just diving in and then realizing women get back on their feet. There's resilience, they bounce back, they get employment. And then we realized there's a hang of a gap between being in a shelter, being on the streets and housing in the market. Uh, there was also the development of new roads into the city, expansion of roads. And one December, a thousand affordable housing units were demolished, um, low cost housing owned by the city, public housing. And people had nowhere to go to. Our legislation at that point was still such that it was okay to do those things without alternatives. Today, our legislation is much more progressive, so the city can't do that without providing alternatives. Back then, it wasn't the case. People knocked on church doors, and it was almost like that moment. You know, it was during Christmas. It was almost like that moment that there is no room in the inn. And the penny dropped, and we started to say, well, if we wanted to, as a church, post-apartheid really be transformatively involved, maybe housing should, it's not just about shelter, it's about how we create 
the kind of infrastructure that people can have access to affordable, decent housing, secure tenure. And that's how it started, uh, Joshua, really out of working with women in sheltered housing, got in their feet without access and having these experiences of people being chucked out of their housing with nowhere to go to. And we realized, and we realized our churches in the pews had all the people who they, that's how they make their living. They are housing developers, they are engineers, they are professionals working in the space. And we started to ask ourselves, how can we bring these worlds together? And, um, and that became an exciting journey. So, so uh, we, we then as churches created the social housing company and were at it for the last almost 20, well, but more than 20 years. And now as it grow bigger, new challenges, and now it's some, some days more of a nightmare, but it's, um, it's been an amazing journey. I think that may be a good place to close on and that shows exactly the kind of work you've been contributing uh, in our our program here at CTI and, and showing how valuable it is to have someone working on the ground in that kind of context for our kind of discussions we're having. So I want to thank you for participating you, and for being on the podcast today, Stefan. Great. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you. Cheers.